You're listening to The Report Card. This is an American politics and news commentary podcast, and we are discussing the issues that affect you directly. International affairs, the price of gas, what's happening with that Republican congressperson, what is President Biden doing? You're listening to The Report Card, co-hosted by Scott Dworkin and Grant Stern. There you go. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. And I'm Scott Dworkin. And we really want to thank you for joining us today on the report card where we grade the news and let you ask us to give grades too. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. It's a good day in the neighborhood. It's a, I heard a, a lot of things happen this week. Obviously, um, there's a lot of war going on over there in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, we're just sending our, our thoughts and uh, everything to everybody over there, our allies. Um, how how have you been this week, Grant? Uh, I have been recovering. Uh, a friend of mine got married this weekend, and um, you know, every parent that's listening right now can relate when I say it was great to have some adult time. <laughs> but the recovery, it, it just it takes longer every year. Yeah, it, it was uh, I you had to go out of town for it. So then you, you fell out. You you made it back though, so that was good. You yes, didn't stuck yes. any you didn't get stuck anywhere. And just to be clear, it was not COVID related. No. Okay. So yeah, um, I, just so people know. <laughs> no, nothing COVID related. No actual vacation. Thanks. Uh, ah, so good. yeah, we we've got three incredible topics today uh, to start with. Before we take your questions, because we definitely want your questions. Uh, you know, that makes the podcast a lot more fun. But we're going to start with Marjorie Taylor Greene being compelled to testify under oath if she wants to continue her candidacy and explain her actions uh, in the run-up to January 6th and on January 6th during the insurrection against the Capitol. Then uh, topic number two is uh, the breaking news from today that Kevin McCarthy tried to form forced Trump to resign after January 6th. Obviously, that failed. And Moscow Mitch McConnell uh, also said that they would take care of that son of a bitch. Uh, he chickened out pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, that's a huge topic. I think there's a lot of ground uh, to cover there. And then our, our last topic that's pre-planned, obviously, uh, you know, anything you guys want to discuss, we're up for is DeSantis and, because these days there's basically a, a news category that's DeSantis and some problem that he's trying to cause. Um, and he's causing quite a lot of them lately. So we've got three really meaty topics to cover. Scott, uh, which do you want to jump into first? I mean, you know, one of my best friends in politics is uh, Kevin McCarthy. And same with you. And so I, I think <laughs> I think we're we different should, friend, kind we, of friends. Uh, yeah, I'm being very, very sarcastic. Just if you can't tell, um, just a ba background in the new book, uh, This Will Not Pass, co-authors Alex Burns and, and uh, Jonathan Martin from the New York Times reveal McConnell and McCarthy wanted then uh, Donald Trump to resign after the January 6th election. Uh, McConnell had said that, you know, Dems would help get rid of the son of a son of a bitch with impeachment. Um, I, I would say that Kevin McCarthy, the accomplice of, of Trump, is really at uh, at key fault here because he had the setup 
Um, and if he had been, uh, if he had enabled his party to vote to impeach, then it would have been a better setup for McConnell. I'm not, I'm blaming them both, obviously. Um, but it, it is important that, um, you know, it's been reported and has not been refuted. So I, I, I think that, uh, you know, they think it makes them look good in some sort of light. Um, and I don't think it's going to be reported on Fox News, so it's not going to be much blowback either, except from phone calls from Donald, which I'm sure he's already called and been like, what the F, man? Like, why would you do that to me? Um, but as a person, just just as a background for everybody, um, what what happened between you at, at Kevin McCarthy's press conference, Grant? So Kevin McCarthy was explaining patiently how uh, it's un-American to see people snatched up and sit there silently. Then uh, after Ron DeSantis had orchestrated uh, the police to uh, attack me. This is this I mean, is at a press conference with McCarthy in Miami that you attended right. as, he, a, he, like, as a journalist. Right, a joint press conference in, uh, on yeah. August 5th in Hialeah Gardens, Florida last year. Uh, after DeSantis had the state police circulate a criminal intelligence memo libeling me, um, they they proceeded to, to follow the instructions of some of his subordinates, some of McCarthy's subordinates. Um, you know, there's one congressman that we saw actually trigger the attack, and there was a congressional aide that the police reported was working with them, like instructed them to remove me uh, from the press conference. And it's just pretty unbelievable when you sit there and look at the video, because I've looked at it from different angles. Um, but Kevin McCarthy, in one breath, says, it's un-American to do nothing when you see tyranny. And then the other breath shuts the hell up. And the question I asked him was, why did you oppose the January 6th, bipartisan January 6th committee, sir? And it was in, it was in a context with the conversation, and it was not out of order. He was being asked questions already. By press, and you were a credentialed I was member the of the press. Second question, that's right. Yeah, you were you were a credentialed member of the press, and um, you know you you're a journalist for one of the biggest organizations, news organizations in in the world, um, and one of the most effective ones on Facebook um, in the United States of America. So it's uh, it was it was pretty um, disgusting to see that. And what Kevin McCarthy did, in case anybody didn't know, is he kind of looked down to his podium and ignored it. And just kind of just stared at his podium. So like when I when I hear something that he w- he, he was going to tell Trump to resign, he was talking like Grant and I did uh, around January sixth, um, and and then he can't even answer a simple question, a non like it was not it was not a confrontational question. It was like a straight up like why did you oppose the bipartisan commission? And then he kind of looked around and then looked down and, and, you know, one of the staffers had nodded, I think, is, is what happened. But um, it was not a, you know, Grant's not one to face off with police or whatever. They, they were physical with them, though. And the reason why I bring that up is because it, it's, it, you know, hearing the reality of, oh, this is where they stood on January 6th. They were against him. They thought that he should resign and whatnot. Are you surprised by this report? I am not in the least bit surprised. Why did Not he? Why did he have the change of what? Like, why won't he even ask you answer your question at that time? Because that was so weird. It was so easy. It was a softball for him to be. To be honest, like he could have just said, 
well, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like it wasn't a hard hitting. It was so, so simple is what I mean. You know, it may not have been you know, easy for him to answer, but like it was simple question. It wasn't and it wasn't like mean. It wasn't like, you know, why are you so terrible? It, it was just asking him a simple question and he could not he couldn't even face you. No, not at all. And and I'd like to compare it in a, a way to uh, to what happened in, in 2004 at the University of Florida. Um, you know, it's a famous incident uh, involving a, a gentleman who's best known as the don't tase me bro. Right. Um, and I'm actually friends with Andrew Meyer. I'm personal friends with Andrew Meyer, the don't tase me bro. Um, you know, he, he's still a journalist. Uh, he's, you know, out there in the West Coast. Actually, I think he's in Texas now. Um, and, and so it just reminded me of that so much, except that when that happened with Andrew, you know, John Kerry was like, hey, what are you doing here? Like, why? This person's just trying to ask a question. This is a forum for questions. Right. This was 10 times as obviously not a, a, a transgression. Uh, and McCarthy just sat there and didn't bat an eye, kept going right after. And then his, his uh, staff uh, ran to the press and lied about it immediately, immediately. And then they tried a little walk back, too. Um, all I could say is, is that, yeah, yeah, they, it, it, you know, but the first statement is what gets out. So, I mean, all I could say is, is that, uh, you know, my experience with Kevin McCarthy is that the man is extremely feckless. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll share an anecdote with you. Uh, I have a friend who's a political activist. And he meets with people, you know, on the left and on the right. Uh, you'll know who I'm talking about, Scott. Yep. Um, and this guy uh, got a meeting with Kevin McCarthy. And... It just so happened that he texted me and said, I'm about to meet with Kevin McCarthy. And I was like, really? Okay, okay. You need to know who you're meeting with. And I sent him the video. And he hadn't seen the video of me being dragged out of this press conference before. And he told me that he was kind of shook going in there. But he went in there and he expected, like, like a lot of these other uh, – just horrible Republican politicians, at least like give you the time of day and whatever. Um, his comment was, uh, I just, I didn't sense that this man had any soul. Like, it just seemed like, you know, like he's just, Kevin McCarthy is just a very externalized person. Does that make sense? Right. So, I mean, th this doesn't surprise me. Does this surprise you at all? Uh, no, but me, me, it doesn't. I mean, I, I was surprised that he, he kind of stood by it and let that happen because it's such a terrible thing. And it just looked terrible. Like he, he looked awful. This is something that's going to go down in history. And then not only that, but like the Republicans standing there in the background, um, as if nothing's happening. If you, if you notice, um, you know, there's, I, I think there's other Republican members of the house behind him. Correct. There's some of them just kind of standing there doing nothing, like absolutely nothing. And that, that kind of shocked me where everybody just kind of stood in line, um, as if everything was normal. I mean, were there some people you've, you've interviewed some of those people, like they, they begged to come on your show and stuff like that. So like, yes, are there yes, some I of them back there interviewed some of those people um, who are the people well, I, I interviewed uh, so Rep. Carlos Jimenez uh, came on my radio program. Um, you know, I've spoken with him multiple times. He knows who I am. 
Um, right, right. You know, I, I actually <laughs> I used to get a few phone calls here and there when I'd, uh, you know, letting me know that whatever comment uh, I, I did uh, upset him. <laughs> like, you know, I would like leave a mean comment on his uh, his what's it called on his Facebook page, and he'd get all pissy or something, you know. But then I would get like a hundred likes or two hundred likes. Um, but still, you know, actually, I sued to expose his text messages during the last uh, election. So I would say that, that Mary Jimenez definitely knows who I am because I exposed him uh, making voting more difficult for Miami-Dade residents by spurning the, the early voting super center uh, that the Miami Heat offered to turn their arena into. Um, and then, of course, there's uh, Maria Elvira Salazar. She's also a congresswoman from Florida in her first term, just like Jimenez. And, I mean, when I tell you she knows me, like, I actually reported – I actually found a copy of this tweet that became uh, the dagger in her 2018 campaign. You know, in 2018, every Republican in Miami-Dade pretended like they didn't even know Trump existed. You talk about the big lie. This was the first big lie. They just literally ran away from Trump. And – she tweeted, bravo, Trump, uh, your Mexican immigration policy is great, something like that. And so uh, one of her opponent, her opponent, uh, which was uh, um, uh, Donna Shalala, uh, her you know, former rep Shalala, uh, her opponent and her team found a copy of this tweet and made a whole radio announcement about it. And right when they did, you know, as soon as it came out, she ran off and deleted the tweet. And I found a copy of it in the Google catch <laughs> and used the archive.is service. If you're listening, this is good uh, advice, by the way. Um, you know, capturing tweets is, uh, is a great thing. And, uh, and through that service, I captured the tweet. And then I wrote a, a pretty long story about how, you know, she was deleting this tweet and, you know, a few other things she was not uh, wanting to have out there. And, and another candidate who actually just locked her entire account in order to pretend that she wasn't pro-Trump. <laughs> um, uh, so she definitely knows who I am. Um, and of course, Mario Diaz-Balart, who could forget the story I wrote about him? It was uh, uh, Congressman Diaz-Balart dupes Banks. Get it? Diaz-Balart dupes Banks. Um, I didn't write that headline. David K. Johnson wrote that headline. Um, and, and it was because he, yeah, we basically caught him committing mortgage fraud. Um, to get a good deal on his refinance on his D.C. townhouse, which, by the way, I visited it the last time I was in D.C. I actually got to, like, swing by and just take some pictures, um, you know, just in case it comes up again. And, boy, is it well located. That is a wonderful little spot. I mean, it is like, seriously, it's like one block from the Republican Party headquarters. I'm sure he wasn't too happy about me reporting that uh, – you know, he had committed mortgage fraud to do the refi, but it's right there in the paperwork, you know. So, yeah, these Republicans know who I am. <laughs> you know, you know who else was in the background that I just noticed? Who? Uh, well, she was born Victoria Kolieko, and her right. name is Victoria Sparts, Sparts. And she was the Ukrainian American who, who's in Congress, um, who, uh, you know, I, I think is a disgrace to everybody. I mean, she helped found a local tea party unit and uh um she she called she has called the russian invasion of ukraine a genocide of the ukrainian people by a crazy man and she's got so you mean family she's, 
You mean she's about to get kicked out of her party for saying mean things about Putin? <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Because, but she's not she's not out there, like, you know, doing what you would think and, and, and being as loud as possible. But I, I can tell you this. The fact that she freaking is sitting in the background there and is one of the people, while you have a person acting like Putin, it, that is, I mean, that, that does it for me with her. I cannot believe that a person who went to Kiev uh, National Economic University and got a BS and an MBA, MBA there and grew up there and has a grandmother and other family members in Ukraine right now, um, even though that this was at the before the buildup of everything, you know, standing aside and at the same time during um, impeachment hearings when she was new, it, it wasn't something where she spoke out either. And so I find it really disgusting that one of the reasons why uh, Putin was was enabled to uh, invade was because of her and because of her party. And she just kind of stood by. I, I just I, I'll never understand people um you know that that don't stand up. They that that just noticing her in the background. I just noticed her now, and I, I, I yeah, forgot no, I, that she, she was, was there. She was one of the speakers. I remember that she right. was there, of course. Yeah, I mean, I I could pretty much tell you everybody that was there. Um, the one person. Why wasn't that it, I think, but this was a DeSantis press conference, right? Like this was a Ron DeSantis right. press conference, but he got out of there. Why did he get out of there? I for, I forget that part. Um, he just spoke for the first, like. 10 minutes or so. And then there was a, a back door um, like right behind him and he just slipped right out, like bolted, bolted. I mean, just, uh, you know, sayonara, like he took off. Um, that might I, be I mean, a I great train. Talk about this. I wanted to talk about this, this article, this uh, I've had it with this guy article. Um you know, because Kevin McCarthy was really plotting to do something against Trump um, and, and then kind of backed off. And I mean, I want to tell you about th this is the part of the story that um, really, I think, just it, it tells you everything about these Republicans. OK, whatever they say in public, you just can't trust. Um, I'm going to. Uh, OK, the, the Times reported and I'm just going to read this out during the same January 10th conversation when he said that he would call on Mr. Trump to resign. Mr. McCarthy told other GOP leaders he wished the big tech companies would strip some Republican lawmakers of their social media accounts, as Twitter and Facebook had done with Mr. Trump. Members such as Lauren Boebert of Colorado had done so much to stroke paranoia about the 2020 election and made offensive comments online about the Capitol attack. Uh, hello? Like, he didn't need Twitter to strip anything. He could have put forward a resolution of censure against them to say that what you're doing is wrong and why. OK, and then, quote, we can't put up with that, Mr. McCarthy said, adding, quote, can't they take their Twitter accounts away to quote McCarthy? I, I mean, hello. Hello. Republicans, wake up. You're authoritarians now. You could stand up and say, no, there's no consequences. No con Oh, you might have to get a job. But if you're in Congress, it's not too late. Well, we, we, nothing we, we uh, see from them surprises us anymore. And, and I, I, I always, I mean, I was always surprised by things that they would do and the, you know, the further the, new rock bottom would become 
because I I never wanted it to become normalized. And so people are like, oh, like, why are you so shocked? And I'm like, because we should be. And because it should not be something that we're okay with or that, oh, it's Republicans, so this is blah, blah. No, it's never acceptable for any of the shit that they're doing. And it's I, I think that, um, you know, it's it's beyond losing a backbone. Like, we're applauding this freaking uh, Senator Romney for clapping for the first black woman to be a Supreme Court justice and because everybody else walked out. Like, what? Like, that that's so crazy for us to be like, oh, great. Well, Romney stayed at least. That's courage? That's not courage. Like, that that's like... Uh, you know, and the other thing I don't understand is like, what what exactly do they define as courage? They define a, a, a guy who has a golden toilet and hides in his gigantic mansion and golf course to be a guy that's courageous. I I, I don't understand exactly what they define as, uh, you know, power or strength. But I can say this. They're leaving a really big opening for somebody. I'm not sure who because I don't see anybody yet but some republican to just take over and it would be a person that's pro-democracy anti-putin stands for old republican values and sounds like reagan i don't know who that will be um maybe it's a kinzinger you know he's trying to do that it seems he's trying to break free and you know build a real national profile but maybe it's somebody that we don't know yet. Maybe it's somebody who's who's always been on the right side of history, uh, but still is a Republican. I I don't know, but there there's a wide open space for that person, and Republicans are hungry for someone like that. Republicans are not all QAnon people. They're not all people who will support Trump in the next election. Um, and, and I think that there's you know again, most people in this country are good. Yes, there are a ton of people who are terrible QAnon supporters who think, you know, I, I, I had, <laughs> I'm not sure if you had this question before, but like I've had people ask me things that were QAnon related, asking me like, you know, I, I say like, so did you think that I actually did that? Like, do you think that I practiced that and all these things that you would accuse people of in QAnon? And they're like, they honestly would say yes. Like, yes, I, and, and it's brainwashing. It's cult-like activity. And I think deprogramming uh, things is, it's, I think the, the the beginning of this, as crazy it may seem, is vaccinations and testing. Um, what I mean by that is I have a birthday party that I'm going to next weekend. And it's the first time I'm going to see some people who, who have not been vaccinated because we have testing and we know that we won't be the ones responsible for them getting sick with the virus because we have enough protections behind us to do that now. So we'll finally be able to talk to these people again. And I think that kind of balance where you can talk, just have conversations with people like that, it's going to really start to tilt the reality. And they'll not live in this false sort of uh, world, you know, and, and they think that we're this one like, uh, you know, you, you started mass now because you care about people and you didn't want people to die. Like, and you wanted to save as many people as possible and, you know, have less people be sick. It's, it's really, really, really real. Uh, you know, it's, it's deafening in, in regards to 
how immoral they are. And I could go on for, for years about this, obviously. I'm sure you could. And we, we haven't even gotten to Mitch McConnell yet. So Mitch McConnell thought that the Democrats were going to take care of Trump, which they were perfectly happy to do. We were we did everything we could do. Every Democrat voted to impeach Trump. Every Democrat voted to give him a lifetime ban from office. OK, and if it was up to the, the senators and the, uh, the Republican senators in the, the uh, at the time, it, it, it was up to them. If they had sped everything up, he could have been removed from office before he walked out the door. I mean, this is not the kind of thing where we needed a lengthy trial to know if Trump was guilty or not. Everybody knows he was guilty. His whole party knows he was guilty. But instead, instead, the New York Times reports that uh, uh, Mr. McConnell knew the Senate math as well as anyone. But he expected a robust bipartisan vote for conviction, uh, conviction, right? Then... Once the proceedings against Mr. Trump moved from the House to the Senate, Mr. McConnell took the measure of Republican senators and concluded that there was little appetite for open battle with a man who remained, much to Mr. McConnell's surprise, the most popular Republican in the country. Leaders lead their caucuses. Last I checked. Do they not? Not in this uh, world that we Republican live in right party. now. No, not, yeah. not in the Republican Party. No, not, not in this Republican Party. I mean, that's, that's the big lesson here, that the Republican Party leadership is so feckless. I mean, if either one of these men had resigned their leadership and said, I will not be a party to fascism. I will not be a party to a man who's trying to overthrow the government. It would have made a difference. I mean, they they could have gone on Fox News and stated their case. And it would have made a difference. But well, they they chose their route, though. You know, they chose what they wanted to do. And, you know, I, I I'm not surprised by anything that they're doing, as we spoke about before. But, um, you know, I, I think it's I think the the more more that leaks out, I think we're going to learn a lot more about the behind the scenes and that's that, that just makes it worse when you hear things like this you know because it's like i remember fighting with republicans on air about you know oh well january 6th wasn't that big of a deal that kind of stuff and they're freaking talking behind the scenes as 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 if they're us using our voices you know what i mean like and you and i uh, along with some other you know, great people at the coalition, we, we ran the impeachment campaigns and we ran the vote totals. And we, we, so, I mean, like talking to every member's office, I mean, I remember the time way back in the day when we had to talk Dems into, you know, voting for impeachment before this is way before. Right, right. They were afraid else. that if they voted for impeachment, that the, the Dems in the swing districts would have trouble getting reelected. Yep. And Dems voted for impeachment and held the house. Right. And well, that was one of the reasons I think they held the House is because they did that. I think if they didn't vote for impeachment, 100 percent, we would be dealing with Speaker Kevin McCarthy right now. God knows. Absolutely. We would be. That would have been. And and God knows what would have happened. They could have they could have overturned some of the election results. We might even be stuck with a second term of a, a fascist authoritarian President Trump right now. 
COVID deaths wouldn't have been at only nearing a million. I mean, that's for sure. And, and you know, oh my gosh, just think no, about that. I mean, we would have another million people dead. We might be on lockdown right now involuntarily if we had I a second term of the Trump presidency. Because think about it. Uh, there was a tremendous upsurge at, in January, right? And then the vaccines rolled out and crushed the curve all the way through uh, May. And then things swung up again in, in June and then July with Delta and peaked in August. But there was a huge divergence. People in the red states all got themselves COVID. People in the blue states all got themselves shots, right? And the death rate in the blue states was a third of what a place like Florida, where I live, was. Then Omicron, I mean, it hit everybody kind of, you know, at the same time. I mean, it, it hit people in the other states. But again, you know, the red state, blue state divergence kept going. But now imagine if the vaccines weren't available or better yet, imagine if Trump made the vaccines more available in the red states where they didn't want to take them, which is probably what would have happened. I mean, that's what they were doing with pandemic relief supplies. Um, you could see him totally being like, oh, well, you know, this person doesn't like me. You know, the the Democratic governor of, of uh, Virginia at the time, uh, he didn't like me. So, you know, he can. uh He'll have to wait on, you know, vaccinations. Like he'll have to wait on that. And like yeah, he, yeah. They, they also wanted states to 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 I guess make bids against uh, other countries. And like the the plans that they had in place weren't plans. Um, and so even just the transition time alone, the devastation that they caused by, by not allowing a transition, um, the people that died because of that. And that's that's what happens, right? Like people well, die. Well, let's when talk about that for one lie. second. Let's yeah. talk about that for one second, and then we're going to tie it up and give some grades, and we have to move on. Uh, I went on BBC, on BBC Radio, very soon after uh, the inauguration. Actually, maybe it was to talk about the, the Biden inauguration. And no, I think it was maybe like a little bit after. And I said to, to the folks at the BBC that Joe Biden did not have a transition. And they actually like disputed it and fact-checked me, and it was horrific on their part. They do not understand how shit works here. I'm sorry. They brought me on as an American politics expert, and then they uh, promoted a narrative vision of what happened. The reality is that if the transition does not start within a week of the election— then there's irreparable harm being done to the American people. Donald Trump we, uh, held up the the transition for three weeks. Okay, that was, I mean, we're going into known territory. A lot of people blamed 9-11 on a disorderly transition because of how long it took to decide the 2000 election. So the three-week delay, I mean, oh, it just doesn't sound like much. Oh, it's a big fucking deal second of all no other american president has had to face an insurrection before taking office this was a massive massive disruption to everything in dc to everyone connected to our federal government to everyone dealing with politics to you and me personally right scott yeah yeah and they they keep in mind that like Technically, right? Technically, and this is all the Trump speak that we ha had to deal with for years. Is technically 
he had a transition that existed, but he didn't have the funding signed off for it. He didn't have the actual organizational units and um, the the uh, office spaces and everything that you usually have for a presidential transition. Well, they, uh, they delayed that for weeks with the right. GSA ascer- ascertainment, and then Emily to top Murphy. It all off, yep. Right. There was numer- There were numerous reports contemporaneously and afterwards that the Trump team did not well, it was not fully candorous. They were not uh, giving full access to the Biden team to enact the transition. Right. And it culminated with an attempt to overthrow the government. If you think that's an orderly or normal transition, look, it's a transition, right? Just like uh, if I was to throw the camera on the ground, that would be a transition to ending the show. But that's not a transition. So, okay, let's give some grades here. Which do you want to grade, McCarthy or McConnell? Oh. (laughs) Well, I I like, um, obviously, uh, let's start with McCarthy. Um, You get McCarthy. I get McConnell. Okay, uh, McCarthy gets a T for traitor, and no, uh, I, it, it's that's a solid grade, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, uh, he, it just never ceases to surprise me that behind the scenes, this guy is the biggest shit thrower uh, and talker that I've ever seen in the Republican Party, and does not even come close to e- even giving a tell in public that he dislikes any of these people. But like behind the scenes, he'll say, oh, you know, Trump's owned by Putin. You know, he'll say things like, uh, oh, well, well, you know, I'm going to get him to resign. I'm going to like these strong statements. He's literally reading our Twitter feeds out loud to the Republican Party behind the scenes. And then uh, in public, he's doing their bidding. He's he's subservient and he works for them. And so, I, I you know, it just it's uh it's the definition of an accomplice, and uh, it's just – I think it's uh, pretty pretty terrible. So T is what I, I grade him, and I do mean that on an A through F scale. He, he would get a T. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he deserves a, a big T for traitor. Um, you know, Mitch McConnell, like I, I just think that you have to grade him an H for heartless. Just the the guy has no heart, you know, none at all. Like he's just like a robot. He is like the the you know he's like the the robot from uh, oh no wait the robot has no brain in the Wizard of Oz. Well shit, he's still like a robot. He doesn't have a heart. <laughs> I mean, he just does not like. There's there's the no man. care. What about your country? What about the the people around you that were almost killed? What about yourself? I mean, you were almost murdered by a lynch mob. And to come out and just say, well, I didn't become leader by uh, trying to lead people. I'm here to follow. It's horrible. I mean, only a heartless person could do something like that. Only. Do you, do you remember what he said after January 6th? Do you remember his, his uh, statement was, to the— Donald Trump was practically and morally responsible. Exactly. How much more responsible can you be? The American people, the United States Senate, will not be intimidated. We will not be kept out of this chamber by thugs, mobs, or threats. We will not bow to lawlessness or intimidation. We are back at our post. We will discharge our duty under the Constitution and for our nation, and we're going to do it tonight. What? What? 
I mean, it, it, it's just, I, I don't even know criminal behavior will never dominate the United States Congress. So he, he's, it, it just didn't make any sense. Except, it's like, except when it's your own party. And then according to Moscow, Mitch, that's okay. Let's move on. Let's move yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, we can, uh, again, we could go I, I for years on na- this. Naturally on. Yeah. I want to move naturally here on to uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, because Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to go have to sit on the witness stand tomorrow uh, and sit under oath and basically try to, I don't know, try to keep from being booted off the ballot in North Georgia, right? Yeah, it it seems that way. You know, I don't want to get anybody excited because the feds would have to be the ones who actually remove them, remove her from the ballot. But um, it's viable enough where I believe it's the first Republican sitting member of Congress who is going to be uh, publicly questioned about January 6th. And that That's is right. a big deal. That And it's on the it's on the record. So she's going to say, I would assume. I plead the fifth like a hundred times. Like I, I would assume that the whole thing is going to be, I plead the fifth of people like she, that could be really maybe, amazing. I, I know like that, but that is probably what she's going to say. Well, they're not going to come after me. I mean, like I get it. Like, but that's, that's what I, I would see as, um, you know, one of our friends, uh, free speech for the people, legal director Ron fine, uh, has said that, you know, just like, uh, he, he he's going after everybody for this. And one of the uh, you know clearest ways to do this is Marjorie Taylor Greene is the first one to really be considered. Some other ones have been heard by Trump judges that were not very keen to, you know, uh, even attend to the challenges for their uh, insurrection support. But I, I think as we learn more about what's happened, you know, it's it's going to be tough. I don't think that. You know, in order to get Marjorie T- Taylor Greene off the ballot, if it were not this legal challenge, it would take a primary challenge, um, and it would have to be someone who's supported by, you know, the Republican Party itself. Um, and I think that's the, that's going to be the best way to do it. But uh, again, I think it's important to to get these people under oath where they can't lie and when they do have to show their cowardice of you know, pleading the fifth. Cause I, I think that's what will happen. I think she'll plead the fifth when they ask her a name. Like I, I, I think that's what'll happen. I guess. So let me play a clip here. And this is a video that you found exclusively, uh, just a few days after the, the insurrection. That's right. Um, it's got 4.7 million views and I'm just going to read the tweet that I found. Okay. This is not the original tweet, but you wrote, Here's video of Marjorie Taylor Greene at the White House in late December 2020 saying she had a, quote, great planning session for our January 6th objection. We aren't going to let this election be stolen by Joe Biden and the Democrats. Just finished with our meetings here at the White House this afternoon. We had had a great planning session for our January 6th objection. We aren't going to let this election be stolen by Joe Biden and the Democrats. President Trump won by a landslide. Call your House reps, call your senators from your states. We've got to make sure they're on board and we already have a lot of people engaged. Okay, stay tuned. This is at so, the end uh, this is at the end of December. She she's walking outside the White House um and she kind of like walks up like she owns the place and and just starts spouting this off. 
this planning session for January 6th objection, just to be clear, that's what she said. Uh, and, and it just, it didn't make any sense because what were they doing? Who was in that meeting? Was was Mike Flynn and his brother in there? You know, we need to know who's in that meeting. And this, what was crazy to me is nobody had scoured through everything that she had ever done to that point, And we were the ones who dug it up. I, I you know, luckily we spent the time the hours and hours of watching her. And I'll tell you, if you sat there and watched dozens of hours of Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, I think we may have crossed 100 at that point um, in a week. Like it, it was, it, it can drive you mad. I get it now why people feel like they're in a cult um, and they get brainwashed because it's just over and over again. And we we found 20 different videos that we released uh, from from not, not just social media, but things that were archived and deleted and uh, those have gotten over 20 million views on, on Twitter alone. Um, and they've been shown on every major news outlet and whatnot. But the, the key thing is, you know, who who does this? And, and like, you know, what exactly happened? Even remember, there's another video that's out there that is her in front of the Capitol uh, on January 5th, right, saying that, um, you know, don't forget we have the fight tomorrow. And then we have her afterwards, after January 6th, talking about how they were, they were heroes and everybody was was presented as a, a hero by them. I mean, it, it couldn't get worse for her in regards to the, just the blatant evidence. So imagine what is going on behind the scenes. Imagine what her text messages look for look like and uh, phone calls and emails and everything. I mean, it must be bananas. Oh, I could only imagine how bananas it is. I mean... You know, they're just so blatant about it. I mean, they didn't have any compunction. There was no uh, there's no regret that you can see. It was just all confidence. Okay, so this election happened, and no matter what the results are, we won. And you better be angry that we won, and, you know, we're not getting our due, even though we didn't get the number of votes that the other guys got. Well, we won because we win. Right. I mean, this is just insanity. Like, no, not just one. They won by a landslide. They won by a landslide, landslide, she said. And and the, the ironic thing here is that if you, new member of Congress, really thought that the election was false, then why did you take your seat? Why didn't you say, I, I, I'm protesting. I think that this election result was not correct. Why go to Congress? Not my election, Grant. Not my election. What are you talking about? No, no, no. Not my so, election. I mean everybody else. So I want to tell you something about what you said <clears throat> about thinking that she'll plead the fifth. I think that's not a that's not a left field thing. I think there's a lot of reasons why she might want to plead the fifth. Right. It all kind of depends on what kind of lawyer she has. Right. But I'm going to tell you. I'm just going to like. I'm going to channel my inner Marjorie Taylor Greene lawyer for you right now. Okay. Were we talking uh, about like a, a Linwood kind of feeling? Like who who are we talking about? Just mm, you know, sites. Are we talking about a John Eastman? Like what, what are we what are we looking mm, at right here? No, no, no. I think maybe a John, let, let, let's go with a, a John Rittenhouse kind of movie. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, uh, you know, civil law is pretty much the same from state to state, proceeding to proceeding. Civil law in America is like it's a body of you know, just how things usually work. It doesn't always work this way in every state. Uh, I don't do that much stuff in Georgia. I'm a big-time activist here in, in Florida, and so I'm very familiar with uh, federal stuff and state stuff, but not necessarily Georgia. But I'll tell you this. 
usually in a civil proceeding. If you refuse to answer a question, if you claim a Fifth Amendment privilege or something like that, um, not not if it's attorney-client, but if it's Fifth Amendment, then a civil proceeding can basically decide to resolve inferences against you. They can resolve inferences against you. That means that if the question is, did you aid and abet an insurrection, and you say, I plead the fifth, because lying would be perjury, and saying what you really did uh, would be a crime. And I'm not saying they're going to ask if you aided and abetted, because that's that's kind of a, that requires a legal conclusion. But if they ask a question that asks her to admit that she aided and abetted an insurrection, and she pleads the fifth, then down the road when it's time to get the judgment in this case, the judge can say she was asked under cross-examination on the stand if she did this. She refused to answer for reasons of saying that she pled the Fifth Amendment. You can resolve this inference against her that she was involved or whatever the, you know, the inference of the question. And that could put her in a very bad spot. She could be the first person to be disqualified from running for office under the 14th Amendment since, wasn't it like Eugene Debs, the socialist candidate uh, in 1919, right after World War I? Um, and if that's the case, I think you're going to see a lot of dominoes fall. You know, uh, Madison Cawthorn benefited from just a really terrible court ruling. Like, kicking, basically, you know, judges at the trial level, they'll kind of make a bad ruling because they know they're just kicking it up to the appeals court and everything from the trial level gets appealed anyway. So sometimes they'll just make a bad ruling and be like, ah, go have fun with the appeal because a trial court ruling doesn't mean anything on appeal. It just doesn't. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this is a different story. I mean, this is not a hearing that you want to lose. I'll tell you that. Right. Uh, right. And it's uh, tomorrow at nine thirty AM grant and I will post a, a live feed to it. Uh, that'll be, uh, posted by our friends at Free Speech for, for the People, and those are the folks that are bringing the lawsuit. Um, and, and so, like, just what they say is while state election authorities cannot impose additional qualifications upon federal candidates, they can, as confirmed by then-judge, now Justice Neil Gorsuch, keep that in mind, exclude candidates from the ballot who do not meet the qualifications established by the Constitution itself, which would include anybody who, who violates the 14th Amendment. So that would be anybody who's a seditionist, anybody who who supports an insurrection against the United States uh, of America, anyone who commits treason per se, uh, you know, that exists for this reason. And it, it just I'm not sure if people assume that it could be applied to this because people assume that there would never be members of Congress that would incite an insurrection against themselves. Like, I, I see that as a fair you know, a fair assessment, but I'm just glad that uh, there's something we can do. Again, something will come of this. I'm not sure what it will be. It may not be removing her from the ballot, but something will come of this that exposes her to be the fraud that she is even more so than already has. Um, Whether she pleads the fifth or whatnot, I'm not sure, but, you know, they do have a history of of doing that. um, So let's, let's assign her a grade. For oh. what's happening right now? Well, for for me, I'd say incomplete, just because uh, her entire career is incomplete. 
uh, everything in Congress is incomplete. She's lost her entire salary to mask fines because she's really standing up for those values or, or whatever, um, her refusal to, to wear a mask. And then uh, I would assume that she's vaccinated and she's sitting there yelling about, you know, every, everything basically is an empty. Uh, maybe it's an empty set, but we'll, we'll say incomplete because uh, it just nothing nothing she says has any sense to it whatsoever what do you think grant well on a scale of zero to 100 with 100 being an a and maybe like you know 70 being a c and 60 you know anything below 60 being like a fail uh, i give her a five she's gonna be pleading the fifth amendment tomorrow that's my prediction why oh <laughs> See, I got that. I was like, why would you uh, give her five why would you give her five points? That seems high for you. Where no, did she no, earn I think those she's five points. Earn those five. <laughs> she's gonna earn them by saying Fifth Amendment over and over again. I I mean it, it's this could it's be fair. quite the spectacle. Right. It could it's be her, quite it, the spectacle. It could be. Well, you know, knowing her to be who she is and studying her more than most anyone else in the world, I can I can confidently say that she is not the person who, who would say she would plead the fifth. Like I know that her lawyers probably are pushing her to do so, but she would say something along the lines. I'm not going to let anybody stand up against me. They're going to keep me silent. Like she wants to speak out. She wants, she knows that the eyes are going to be on her. She knows that this is going to be a focus tomorrow morning. She knows she's going to get international news out of it. Um, So she's going to want to speak out. And if she sits there and repeats, pleads the fifth over and over, that's going to be the talking point all day and probably forever about her. And that's going to be what she's known for. So I, I, you know, there's, I can see both sides of it where she does not want to plead the fifth whatsoever. I I know that for a fact. That's, that's, she does not want to do that. She, she wants to answer questions and think that she's going to be defiant, but she can't lie. And that and that that's problematic, obviously. So she can't even say that Trump won. So like asking the question, did Donald Trump win the election? She, like, <laughs> that is definitely relevant. Yeah. Definitely she, relevant. She's not she's gonna say in my opinion, no, no, not in your opinion. Did did he did he win? Yeah, it's an objective like, fact. Yeah, like what like what yeah, so it's like and you say here in this video that uh, he won by a landslide. What were your what was your proof with that? I mean, the, the questions are so easy because they've lied so much. And I, I don't know what she actually believes and what she doesn't. But I can say that she knows better than uh, this. And, and I know that she's been involved with other cases. So uh, she's going to have good counsel that's advising her. And she's not going to hire you know, Sydney or Jenna or oh, Rudy. Oh, I wouldn't bet my bottom dollar on that one. <laughs> well, she she's got to she's got to spend her money on something, and it's not going to be on her reelection because she doesn't need to spend that much on that, if anything. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it it's definitely it's going to be interesting to see. Um, again, nobody get your hopes up, but the fact that we actually got her under oath and she has to testify tomorrow is a great step in the right direction. Um, and, and again, it's the first time that we have a Republican member of Congress that's under oath in regards to the January 6th. And it sets a great precedent for asking other other questions for other members of Congress. So with that being said, we have rambled along for quite a while and we haven't taken any call-ins yet. So if you want to call in, 
you're a live listener right now, this is your chance to ask us to grade something, anything besides what is happening in Florida, okay? Because Florida, we are going to tackle last. So if you have a question besides something about Florida, anything else that you want us to grade, I mean, you know, and, and when I say Florida, I'm just talking about some very specific stuff, okay? Uh, DeSantis and is our category. Uh, we're going to talk about DeSantis and Disney, DeSantis and the math books scam, DeSantis and saying gay, DeSantis and Twitter's board of directors. So uh, any other questions? Come on, guys. I know you guys can come up with something else. There's a lot going on in the news cycle today. Uh, just call in let, when you're ready, and, and we'll bring you on the stage. Sound good? All right. Yeah, I, I see you, Liz and Sam and Amanda. It's cool. It's cool. No, no, you guys can ask, answer, ask questions if you like. Anyways, um, so, we, I mean, we can move into your best friend, uh, the governor of your state, uh, if you'd like, Grant, um, because the, it is a topic of discussion that everybody, you know, dies for here, and that, that is DeSantis your favorite governor, right? Like he is your favorite governor in American history, right? <laughs> I think the, the Colbert report, he asked this great question about George W. Bush. I'll ask about DeSantis. Is DeSantis a great governor or the greatest governor? <laughs> uh, this, Ron DeSantis is the greatest governor in the history of terrible governors of Florida. There, the, and that's saying just... something because some of these guys like own slaves and all sorts of terrible things. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, well, I'll make sure that he clips that and uses that as an endorsement from you. <laughs> yeah. Um, boy, I'll tell you, I, I gave an interview earlier uh, last year, and I said that this is just not the Florida that I grew up in. And it's true. This is not the Florida I grew up in. Like, I would, I could just never imagine uh, somebody in Florida, a governor, no less, Attacking Disney, banning math books because uh, you say that they're uh, there's CRT in the math book. That's just ludicrous, ludicrous. Okay, and I, I just don't know what to tell you there. I don't know what to tell you there, but uh, I do know what to tell you in regards to why they're doing it. Did you know that, that actually a couple of people figured out the why? No? No. Really? Right. So Tomas Kennedy actually got the scoop on this, but he didn't get the he didn't get the dirt. He just tweeted and about a thousand people liked it, fifteen hundred people liked it. He said, Yeah, you know, I don't know how, but I would be willing to bet that somehow the math book scam is related to some sort of grift. And would you believe someone came up with a very plausible working theory? This is not a conspiracy theory at all about why this is all happening. And it's related to Glenn Youngkin. Our best friend, the, the governor of Virginia. The new governor of Virginia. Mr. I can run away from Trump. And then be like the biggest asshole on the entire planet second I get into office. Right. That guy. So, uh, you know, <laughs> this is wild. Now that the Republicans in Florida are 
uh, using CRT to strike out. Okay, to lash out. There's only one textbook provider out of Texas that is going to supply books to the entire state education system. And that supplier happens to be a company that Glenn, Glenn Youngkin acquired for his private equity firm before leaving and becoming a political candidate. Yep. So there you I'm have not, it. I mean, I'm not surprised by it. I, I, I'm just, uh, you know, the Glenn, Glenn Youngkin was, was always horrific uh, because he hit it behind a basketball. You know, he hid yeah. his Trumpism behind a, a basketball. And I remember when we went after him for his Chinese business ties. And I remember party leaders tried to be like, oh, like, don't run that. Don't do that. Don't do. And and we were like, no, 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 no. Like, you have to go after him. We we can't just let him, you know, act like he's this guy, a guy who's above board. Like, I, I don't know what we're doing. And the, the party needed to go after him in regards to all his ties, his business ties and everything. Um, they needed to paint him with a real picture about him and who he was and not just let him run away with it. And that's what happened, and that's why we lost because we, we learned a big lesson there, which is, you know, don't listen to outsiders and to always trust our gut because we would have lost a lot of big races if we just uh, listened to everybody else. Don't spend $100,000 more in Georgia for the 2021 election, the special election, the two Senate seats. God knows what would have happened told you if that? we didn't. Yeah, well, we would. I remember when we were making decisions and we were like, uh, well, you know, if we, we it'd be a lot easier, well, we don't really, you know, I think we're going to win this anyways. And you said, well, you know, we could reach everybody again with the basic messaging, the ads that we had uh, that support Warnock and Ossoff. Um, you know, it, it was the basic like uh, Dem support jobs, healthcare, and uh, security or something, something like that. And, uh, was somebody who somebody told me like, well, no, 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 like you, you, y'all should save that money, you know, and and use that later on because I'm I'm sure that we'll be able to close it out. Um, the numbers we got back or whatnot, I I'll just say like I'm very happy that we spent every dime of that, and and things were very tough for a while for us because we spent down close to zero uh, because of that, and you know obviously. After that was January 6th, the day after that election. And so then we had so, to fight that, I mean, and it just went on It was on like there, we were yeah. so exhausted. I just remember the feeling of exhaustion the morning of January 6th and hoping that, like, nothing too crazy was going to happen because I saw it coming. I'm like, they're, they're stoking every crazy in the country right now. This is not going to be good. I just hope that, you know, the police see this happening and kind of, you know, prepare, which obviously didn't happen. Um but, yeah, so, like, it's just, uh, you know, it's really nuts that uh, Democrats wrote this playbook on how to lose an election in Virginia, which is pretty unnecessary, I would say. And, and here we are and feeling the effects of it. And, and I think it just shows you how local politics is not so local in, in the United States anymore because the Republican Party, through ALEC especially, the American Legislative Exchange Council, has nationalized local party uh, local po uh, politics in a way that is just really detrimental and Democrats have not responded in kind they haven't 
and it's it's hurting us. I think it's it's hurting us. It's a missing organization in the democratic uh, realm. But uh, you know, now they're trying to strip Disney of their self-governing uh, special district uh, down in Orlando in Orange and Osceola counties. Um, the Senate, the Florida Senate, already voted to do it to cancel this special district that created Walt Disney World. I mean, what do you think of that, Scott? I mean, I think that if you're go, go, going at war with uh, Mickey Mouse, you're going to lose, first of all. Um, second of all, I've worked in Florida politics, not as long as you, but um, it's over 15 years now. And I've, just, I, I, I've never seen anybody go against Disney and win statewide. Um, I, I, I see that as unheard of because it's not just, what, 70,000 employees. It's their families and everybody. I mean, they're furious. It's kind of like even even Republican Trump backers are are pissed off about it because they don't understand why you would go up against them, like it, go up against Disney as a whole. Um, and so, you know, good luck to DeSantis. I think it's his undoing. I think that Disney specifically, his war with them is, is going to be his undoing. And he, he's definitely I don't know why he chose to to do this. Maybe polling looks good for it for the moment nationally. But I just don't I don't see where it leads because, you know, in six months from now um, or, yeah, yeah, five months from now with the election coming down to it, you're going to have Disney employees doing ads for Democrats all across the state. It's not going to be just him. It's going to be people running for Congress, It's going to be people running for state Senate, state house. And who do you think people are going to vote for when it's like, he wants you to lose your job. He doesn't want Disney to be here. He basically wants to shut down Disney. You know, like, yeah, he wants to cancel Disney. It's out of control. It's not just the fact that it's you know, like you said, nobody fights Disney and wins. I mean, I guess you could, but this is a much bigger story because this is the Republican Party against free enterprise itself. Um, right? Because like, Sykes, why are they? Why are they fighting yeah. Disney in the first place? Why is DeSantis fighting Disney in the first place? Well, Charlie Sykes, right? Charlie Sykes uh, wrote a story about DeSantis, and he just called him uh, the authoritarian socialist Republicans. Right. I think that's very accurate. Well, then uh, what spurred it? Disney what spurred won't, it? won't adhere to the party line. There's only one party, and you've got to adhere to the party line. Otherwise, you have to be punished, Right. We're going to use government to take over your business and punish you. And here's the irony here, okay? Here's the irony. Disney has $2 billion worth of municipal debt held by this district, right? And they pay $105 million a year into the district to pay for its operations. So when people say, well, oh, Disney is self-governing. Should it be that way? Oh, this, oh, that. Disney is also self-financing its government. They are paying for their government layer, right? Which insulates them from some local political pressures, right? I mean, just imagine if, if a, Disney, a horde of Disney lobbyists had to storm Orange County Hall every time they needed something. Um, you would imagine that the local politics would become pretty distorted too. What Disney does is actually a blessing for local residents because they don't have to pay for Disney on the one hand. They get all the benefit on the other. 
Disney gets their thing, residents get theirs, employees get theirs. Um, if they do succeed in killing this special district, which I'm going to tell you for other reasons, probably they won't. But if they did succeed in doing it, each household in Orange County would be stuck paying $2,200 just for the debt. And then each year, each year they would get a bill for to pay for Disney because nothing in the special district documents or the way things work, nothing there uh, would change, uh, you know, would add the $105 million from Disney back into the budgets and nothing there would uh, transfer the debt to Disney either. And this all spurs from Disney's uh, final, I guess they buckled to our pressures uh, when they, they, they put out a statement against the don't say gay legislation. And then DeSantis, this is his response to that. Um, they, they, they basically, yeah, this is his response directly yeah. to them putting out a statement. Yeah. That's, that's kind of crazy that it's, because of his, you know, that, that don't say gay law and their response. Now, Disney didn't, you know, initially they had no response. And part of that uh, official statement against don't say gay bill um, was the fact that they were sorry to all the people who support them for taking so long to respond to it and to having to have so many people outraged against them because they didn't take a stand against it and it was way too late. It had already passed. So now, you know, or it was about to did Santa's obviously now took his, uh, he's doing everything he can to fight against it. I just don't, again, it's not just about him, but down ballot, like this is going to cost Republicans dearly as it should. If Democrats handle it properly, it definitely will. That's a big if I have no faith in the Florida Democratic Party's ability to run elections or win elections. And I'll tell you right now, I hear that there's a fight brewing between the chair and the leadership of the party. So this is the worst time for that. It's petty as hell. And Democrats are going to struggle to create a united front because, unfortunately, uh, there's like a rogue chair of the party in this state. But the Disney thing should be a death knell for Florida Republicans. It should be the albatross hung around their neck. It absolutely, absolutely should be. And what it shows to Disney and to all of corporate America is that you can't afford to show weakness in the face of Republicans trying to advance authoritarianism, hatred, bigotry, prejudice, And doing so under the guise of saving children or this is really equality. We're going to be so fair about our maps. We're going to be colorblind and take away uh, three or four African-American seats. I mean, these people are disingenuous. Disingenuous as heck. And if you're silent, then you're complicit. And once you're silent and complicit... Or squishy and wishy-washy. That's it. Like, these Republicans are like sharks. They don't care that you've just been feeding them fish. They just smell the blood in the water and they attack. 
And this should be a warning for all these corporate donors. What the heck are you doing? Look what you're buying. You bought uh, January 6th. That wasn't enough. Now you're going to buy your own destruction? Is it worth it for a couple of nickels? So what do you uh, what do you grade, Mr. Deci? I just, I'll just get out in front of it. I, F minus. I'm not even going to go uh, a, a, anywhere with that. F minus for me. But how, how would you grade DeSantis? Boy, uh, DeSantis, I, I, I give him a, a D uh, for death Santis. He's going to be the death Santis of the tourism industry in Florida at this rate. I mean, seriously, what is this guy doing? This is insanity. Uh, Disney employs more people than the margin of victory for his last gubernatorial campaign. It doesn't make any sense. Unless you just think you're the king of Florida. That's it. And I'm glad that the Democrats have three really strong candidates running in the Florida Democratic primary uh, to to really just like somebody, whoever makes it out of this primary. Uh, they're not going to backstab each other. These people all know each other. They're all experienced. They've all got you know, a, a real meaningful experience in in our state government, um, any of the three of them would be an outstanding governor. Nikki Freed, Charlie Crist, Annette Tadeo, any of the three of them would be an outstanding governor. So uh, I'm giving them an A, but DeSantis, he, he's great. His grade is death Santis. He's just going to be the death of us all at the rate he's going. And if uh, Florida uh, voters don't see this, um, you know, if they don't see the governor of, of Colorado offering asylum to Mickey Mouse and start thinking that this is not free Florida, but fascist Florida. Well, I think you might see a lot of people rolling out to, Cal- uh, to Colorado. OK, and, and that's just a sad thought for me as a native Floridian. It is. So, I, I mean, last chance. Does anybody want to call in and ask us to grade something besides Florida, besides Moscow, Mitch? Oh, we got one caller. Caller, tell us your name and your question, what you'd like us to grade. Hey, ahead, it's Amanda. Caller. It's me, it's Amanda. Hey, Amanda, what's hey. up? Oh, gosh, it's a beautiful day here in Kansas City. Um, nice. There's, now, I, I think there are three positions for last in the United States. Missouri is so bad, we can't even win that. We're in third. But we haven't touched today on number two in that race, Texas. So I'd like okay. to take this. Uh, so what do you think? Big Bird or Mickey Mouse? Who would win? I am watching that Big Bird <laughs> Ted Cruz race. Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, I, I think that, that Mickey Mouse is a little bit more of a scrapper. I've seen him uh, drive a steamboat. And and he's just like into tools and stuff. Whereas Big Bird is much bigger, obviously, right? And, and by the way, you know, it's funny you asked this because I was in Orlando not too long ago with my daughter and we went to Sesame Street. And, um, yeah, like Big Bird kind of, you know, stays on the nest, right? Whereas Mickey tends to roam the streets a little bit more. So I got to go with the mouse. What do, what do you think, Scott? Um, I, you know, Big Bird is a fighter, you know, and uh, I, I just I, I would have to decide uh I, I decide to be on on the side of the mouse as well. You know, the only only reason being that Mickey Mouse um, 
you know, I, I think that he is he is one of those underdogs. I think if it was against Big Bird, you know, and so uh, I, I also think Big Bird doesn't have as much of a reach, and he's uh, not as mobile as uh, Mickey would be. So I, I think that uh, you know, again, to be Mickey Mouse, just in my in my opinion. Well, I mean, I think that the reason she asked uh, is because, of course, you have Republicans spending time uh, reading from Dr. Seuss, attacking Big Bird. Now they're going after Mickey Mouse. I mean, it's anything to distract with something that's accessible to the lowest common denominator. Um, but but also, it's like. I mean, my gosh, guys, like, do you just hate America that much, Republicans? And, and I think the answer is starting to be yes. And we've got another caller. Uh, do you want to give us a grade or ask us a question? Go ahead, uh, caller. Introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from. You have to unmute yourself, too. It's in the bottom right. Yep. There we go. Um, Sorry, guys. No, you're uh, good. No hey, Jimmy, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, would you like to compare and contrast Senator Lee's uh, text and lack of response with Doc, uh, Senator Romney uh, saying he read them and nothing illegal there? Yeah. Hey, that's a great point. I mean, Senator Romney deserves an A-plus for his response uh, to the threat against democracy. I mean, he deserves an A-plus for uh, saying that Russia was a rising threat. Um, but none of us saw it because it was all happening inside the Republican Party at the time. And Senator Lee, I mean, wow, talk about a fraud. Right. And he said, uh, if a very small handful of states were to have their legislators appoint alternative slates of delegates, there could be a path, Lee wrote. I don't think the president is grasping the distinction between what we can can do and what he would like us to do. So we have to change things up. Again, all of this could change if the states in question certified Trump electors pursuant to state law. But in the absence of that, this effort is destined not only to fail – but to hurt DJT in the process. These are text messages from Lee. Well, you know, I, I want to bring up something that uh, liberals did after Trump got elected. And just to compare and contrast, honestly, um, there was a movement to try and get a court order uh, to say that the the Electoral College had uh, had people that should not have been voting. Okay? And I'll tell you what. Knowing what I know today versus six years ago, they didn't have a chance. They actually had to have filed their uh, their most. They had to have done the whole thing before the electoral college voted. Okay, but it was a learning experience. The thing is, though, they kept filing in court and filing in court and filing in court again. Nobody stormed any capitals. Nobody was trying to get a senator to revoke the results by using a democratic majority in a state house. It just wasn't happening. There was nothing like this. There was no forgeries going on. There was nobody lying and saying that Trump didn't really win, right? I mean, in the end, I think that a lot of people concluded that, you know, the biggest hack was of people's minds. 
The people were persuaded by this propaganda, these lies that were fed to them in a very targeted way and fed to them in a way that influenced people. But it wasn't like people were just like, well, I just reject the counting of the vote. It never happened. Never, ever happened. We were close, though. We were close. There were little barriers. Um, If one guy in Michigan voted a different way, you know what I mean, for the certification of the ballots, if if they were able to switch their vote, the two people who uh, didn't agree with it, it, I mean, there were – there was so much pressure, but we were louder, we were bigger, we were stronger, uh, and thankful for that. I'm so thankful for everyone's hard work um, and, you know, Americans and standing up for it. So, um, but anyways, it, it's it's just appreciated that we made it this far, you know, Grant? It certainly, certainly is. And that's all the time we have today on the report card. It's been a lot of fun, Scott. It has. It has. Thanks again for uh, joining us today. And we obviously are now live uh, in the podcast arena. Anywhere you can get podcasts, including iTunes and uh, uh, other services as well. Yes. So uh, if you're, you know, if you want to, you could follow us on on iTunes um, or, you know, of course, subscribe here on Colin so you can come back and get notified the next time we go live. Uh, This is our first month of shows, so we're going to be testing some different dates and times to see what works the best. And, uh, you know, we're very excited to have you guys here and thrilled to get some questions. You're listening to The Report Card. 